Hi, I'm Simon Russell, founder of Behavioural Finance Australia. I'm here with Andrew Valamos, CEO and co-founder of the online investment marketplace, OpenInvest in Melbourne. Andrew and I share an interest in behavioural finance, the impacts of psychological forces on investors and on markets. Welcome, Andrew. Simon, great to be here. So maybe, Andrew, you can kick us off. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with Open Invest, can you give us a sense of what Open Invest does? Yep. Uh, in the most succinct way possible, Open Invest is an online marketplace. Um, individual investors can engage with a range of different asset managers, get to know them, and when they're comfortable, pick one to manage their investment portfolio for them on their behalf. Sounds good. So Andrew and I have done a few things together in the past. So for example, I helped Andrew and the Open Invest team to design some behavioural finance quizzes for self-directed investors. Um, The quizzes are intended to help investors understand the psychological issues they are likely to encounter as part of their investment journeys and what they should do to help address them. So today we're going to discuss briefly one element of behavioural finance and that relates to collective decision making, how people make investment decisions when working together with other people. What does the psychological research tell us about how individual investors should work together? So here we're thinking of, say, a couple who are jointly responsible for their SMSF. Now, by way of background, there is extensive psychological research into effective group decision-making. So it's relevant for people working in teams in a work context, and it covers issues such as leveraging diverse views and avoiding groupthink. So I run workshops on on these sorts of topics with professional investment teams, And today's conversation is going to leverage some of the same principles in the context of SMSF trustees working together. So Andrew, um, what have you observed about the roles people play when managing their SMSF jointly with someone else, like their spouse? In some of the answers we've had on on the questions on our um, SMSF quizzes that you helped uh, devise and design for us, we found some really interesting results. So this is a result of several hundred people who've answered these. 41% to the two couples or two members of a couple who are running an SMSF say we have little collaboration in investment decision making. That's really interesting. And I shall be keen on your view on this. Anecdotally, I'm not surprised in the least at that. Uh, And the reason for that is that it is so often the case one of the two has a view that they know what they're doing and they go full steam ahead and often bring their um, spouse along with them And you can see in that scenario, they're not going to be in a situation where they're collaboratively making decisions in a way where they both feel they're inputting equally into decision-making processes. Certainly not inputting equally, but not even collaborating at all. Well, the the, the answer that that stuck out the most in that question was not zero collaboration, it was little collaboration. Yeah. And you're right, little can be defined, but I bet it includes a lot of zero (laughs) collaboration. Yeah, that's quite possible. So interestingly, when you often ask in other contexts, not SMSFs specifically, but in other contexts, say housework, uh, if you ask a husband and wife, or I hear what you're saying, that a, a cohabitation pair of some some description, um, how much each of them ask each of them individually, how much they think they contribute to the total household workload in terms of the sort of the chores of the, around the house, um, then those numbers could quite quite possibly be very unequal. But what does tend to happen is two unequal numbers typically add up to more than a hundred percent. Yes, but that well, doesn't sound necessarily like what you, you've seen. Not in that instance. But where there is collaboration, do you get a sense of how well that collaboration works? Uh, well, I've got a bit of an anec- some anecdotes for you, but again, can I point to some of the answers we've had in the, sure, the Open Invest quizzes? Um, 
this one was a positive one. When we asked the question, um, to what extent are other decision-making decision makers' views incorporated in the investment process? 38% said usually. So that was positive. That was maybe higher than I thought it might well have been. Could they be advisors they're talking about in that case? Um, no, this was for non-advised because we separated yeah, okay. some of those out. Um, sometimes was a much lower response, 22%. And um, we had 19% for rarely. So now... This comes back to to what extent people really are listening versus and think that they're incorporating someone else's views. In in a a spousal uh, situation or relationship, the person A might think very differently to person B as to the extent to which they really are jointly contributing to the decision-making process or indeed that their views uh, are being listened to and taken into account. Now, I think we did have a question about that, didn't we, about how well people Uh, thought their views were being listened to. Do you have data on that as well? (laughs) I knew I knew there was a reason I had that at the back of my head. So if I'm perhaps the dominant SMSF trustee, say stereotypically I'm the husband of the pair, uh, and I think I listen to my wife's views, but then we ask the wife, do you think your views are being listened to by your husband? Have you you got that data as to whether there's a disconnect between those two sets of responses? No, we don't. We certainly have the data, as, as per my previous answer, on the extent to which the other's views are objectively taken into account. We didn't break... It's a great one for next time to refine them, to break that down further into the extent to which the other person feels they're being taken into account. But but I can say just this as an anecdotal one. Um, we've certainly met lots of self-money super fund couples, spouses at, at for example, the, the SMSF Association runs an annual investor expo event, and we've, we've sponsored that in the past. And it is very often the case that a couple will come over and start talking to us about what Open Invest does and how they can access professional asset management through Open Invest, and we'll ask them that question about how they make decisions. And actually, very common, and this is a you would know why this is the case more than I would, but it's the males who are tend to be more overconfident about their ability to run these um, to make investment decisions, and hence are making the investment decisions. And they will say that, yes, the two of us, we do this and we do that and we decided we would invest in the following way. And what I found interesting is that the female spouse will not contradict the male spouse, but look at me with an a raised eyebrow, effectively to say, that's not what we agreed at all, because we didn't agree that that's just my husband charging ahead and making those decisions and and. If I go back to my earlier comment, I think this is a really fascinating area and we're we're having this conversation at the time of stock market upheaval, at the time of the coronavirus. Um, These things are kind of masked, the the extent to which there is disagreement between um, two SMSF trustees about how the fund should be invested and uh, how the SMSF should be run. And it can be masked in easy and happy times, but... When things are a lot more stressful, then I think some of these innate and and basic disagreements really will come to the fore. People say, this is not what I really wanted. This is not how I wanted us to look after our SMSF, and you're doing things in a way that I wish you, you weren't doing. Mm. It's interesting. I think what we're talking about here in the context of a pair of well, life partners or, or spouses um, is actually not that dissimilar in many respects to the broader research around group decision-making. As people collaborate in a, in a work context, you've you got a team 
probably more than two people in many team contexts, we have the same sort of issues where that problem of the, the, the husband and wife adding up to more than 100% of the housework, the same thing happens when you look at people collaborating on producing academic papers, for example. Well, five collaborators, what does that add up to? You add up their, their proportional, what they think their, their inputs yes. are, and it's, I don't know, 150% or something like that. And the same sorts of problems about stuff being hidden in a context, so you have a thing called a hidden profile, where effectively, if you put the information, if you could drain all the information out of people's brains and put it in a big pot in the middle of the room and, and use all that information to make an effective choice then you would effectively get to a better answer than if you asked each of the individuals who's only got a portion of that information. But unfortunately, you don't do that draining process. That, hidden, that information often remains hidden in people's heads. So how much do they think they're contributing, whether they think they've been heard? I don't know about your work context. You're the CEO, so no doubt in your case it's perfect, I, I'm assuming, with your team. But uh, for many other teams, you, you have problems, I guess, where everyone appears to agree in a, in a team context, and then you go back to your desk and you go, oh, for goodness sake why didn't they listen to me? Why, why didn't yes. we do X, Y, Z? It sort of seems obvious to me, but actually I've, I haven't perhaps put everything on the table in that context. Well, and people, people, people are different. People have their own backgrounds and contexts, and, uh, and that's the great thing. The older you get, the more you realise people look at life through very different lens to what you do, what you do based on their own background and experiences. That's why I run things at Open Invest in a benevolent, dictatorial <laughs> way. And my, and my comrades all say it's the perfect way to be, sir. But on a serious note, the, and the other thing, just to add to your point, it's, it's correct, it's valid, uh, and you would know what the data on this is much better than I would. Is there anything that people find more stressful talking about than money? And, and that's just in a, in, a, in a setting in which people are um, not necessarily in a shared spousal relationship with a shared... If we go back to the SMSF context, they're in a shared fund together. But financial stresses and financial issues are the cause of a huge percentage of, of marital strains or spousal strains. Yeah, yeah. And I think also when you think about the, the different views and perspectives and, and, and experiences and levels of confidence between particularly men and women in that sort of context and say, well what are some of the reasons why I, I as the, perhaps the, the less confident female partner, am not contributing my views? Well, I don't feel confident. I don't want to look silly. I don't want to feel naive about contributing something that m might very well be a silly question or is deemed to be a silly question by my spouse, which to me has parallels with a work context where if I'm a junior person in a team and I don't want to raise an issue in front of the rest of my more senior team members and, my, and the chair of the board or whoever it is who's, who's managing that team. So I think those dynamics yes. seem to... I can, I can imagine they have a, a, um, a parallel impact in an SMSF context as well. Frankly, I think this is the next big um, area for work, for people to um, engage more openly and more collaboratively coming up with an outcome as to how their SMSF is going to be invested and looked after. I mean, if someone has an advisor, the data suggests 30% of self-managed super funds have a, a, an ongoing financial advice relationship. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make this assumption. In all of those cases, that is the 30%, part of the job of the advisor, okay, it's ensuring that the portfolio is properly invested, that's part of it. The rest of it is managing the relationship so that the, t the couple, or if uh, there are more members of the fund, are comfortable, confident, and feel reassured about how the fund is being invested. That's a skill that the best advisors have. Yeah, and so perhaps what an advisor is doing and perhaps what the Open Invest quizzes are doing, well, not perhaps, this is definitely part of what they're doing, is, is trying to give feedback to people and say, well, this is 
this is the stuff that you need to know about, or this is, this is what your partner's thinking, or this is really how the, the dynamics are working between you. Um, and that, uh, to me, that links nicely with the decision-making research that yes. says, in the absence of feedback that we listen to and respond to and take credibly and, and, and change our behaviour and decision-making, in, in the absence of that, it's very difficult for us to be effectively calibrating our level of confidence. I can remain completely confident that I'm an awesome investor if I never look at what my portfolio has been doing, uh, for example, or never listen to my spouse or my advisor, that sort of thing. So in the context of an SMSF um, pairing or trustee partnership or, or, or maybe different combinations, different family sets, have you seen examples of people who are good at taking on that feedback? Yes, you do meet those people, but... My guess is that's pretty rare, actually. Unless someone ha- unless a couple has an advisor, my guess is it's rare and um, it, it's important people think about it. Fantastic. So on that note, I mean, I'm trying to keep these, these, these um, podcasts short. So on that note, we'll, we'll wrap it up for today. Uh, we have raised some potential problems in today's discussion without a hell of a lot of solutions uh, other than the idea of getting some more feedback on the table, I suspect. Um, so if it's all right with you, Andrew, I might invite you back for another conversation where we'll talk a bit more about some of the solutions and the communication and avoiding misunderstandings, if, that's, if that suits you. Um, Simon, very happy to come back. If you put another cup of tea on, I'll be here. Fantastic. It's up, and uh, in the meantime, if listeners would like to get in touch with you and your team, Andrew, to find out more about what Open Invest has to offer, what's the best way? Uh, the best way is online. So um, openinvest.com.au and uh, on openinvest.com.au, there's uh, content information, the quizzes that together we, that you drove, but we contributed to, uh, that provide information. And then in particular, there's uh, a range of uh, terrific and engaging content, videos, interesting articles from uh, the seven asset managers that are currently available on Open Invest. And, and we welcome people to visit and, and start engaging and get to know them better. Sounds good. And for people who are interested in my content about the psychology of communication, uh, my, my recent book, Behavioural Finance, A Guide for Financial Advisors, is a good resource. It's primarily intended for financial advisors but covers a number of communication issues that are relevant for uh, an advisor, a, a SMSF trustee, a professional investor. Books available online via book retailers like Amazon and Book Depository, or you can get in touch with me via my website, behavioralfinanceaustralia.com.au. Thanks for your time today, Andrew. Thank you, Simon.